0: handouts being handed out again this morning. If you didn't get one from yesterday, if you don't get one today, because they're limited, I only have 100 copies of each, so we're trying to give them one per family, however best we can get them handed out. But you're more than welcome to have one if you write down in a legible fashion your email address. I'll be glad to email you yesterday, today, and the next handout as well if you'd like to have it or as i said if you have your smarty pants phone you can get it probably here and look at it on that so that works as well as an mp3 player uh, no-ed. many of them do let's open up again to the book of proverbs chapter 1 looking again at the foundation and the foundational message of the book of proverbs that we find in chapter 1 Actually, the foundational message will sort of continue through chapter 9 with the prominent theme of wisdom, and just for your own personal benefit, you might go through the book of Proverbs sometime and highlight or note or circle or mark or whatever method you use in your study of Scripture the number of times you find the word wise or wisdom or its equivalent. And knowledge, and you'll find, uh, you'll be surprised maybe at how many times you will find those words repeated. Proverbs chapter 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To perceive the words of understanding. To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity. To give subtlety to the simple. To the young man knowledge and discretion, a wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb in the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son... Hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. So we saw yesterday, looking into this book, that Solomon, the author, gives us these proverbs just before the kingdom splits. The kingdom will split Chaos will settle in, it'll be a difficult time in the nation of Israel, it'll be an especially difficult time in many ways for the northern tribes of Israel, those that apostatized completely. And yet there was given a book that if applied and if one entered in through the gate that is found there would be found wisdom to be able to live life in a scene of chaos. Now that especially speaks to me today in the age in which we find ourselves living. I say this without trying to be trite. God is a current God. He is not outdated. And His wisdom is not outdated. And His book is not outdated. I love that passage in the book of Titus that says that we who have been saved by the grace of God, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, that the grace of God teaches us to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Or, as I just sort of paraphrase it in my own thinking, in the now. In the now. And God's grace, the grace that saves you, is the grace that enables you to be able to live in the now. God is a current God in that sense, and not outdated or outmoded, neither is His wisdom. We find that the Proverbs are a form of concentrated truth, a truth that is packed in a portable form, convenient. You could take it here, you could take it there. It's different than other books of the Bible in that way, because most, Bible, most books of the Bible, uh, as we read them, other than some of the poetic books, Um, you have to interpret by context. Context is the great determiner when you're looking at any passage or verse of Scripture. Contrary to the Western way of thinking, uh, the way that we find our Bible written, the chief unit of thought in the Bible, particularly the New Testament, is not a sentence. It is a paragraph or a section of verses. And so you look for the chief unit unit of thought that is contained in those verses. But Proverbs is quite different. You can jump right in uh, to, to anyone and you don't pull it out of context because it's not really in that kind of a setting. As I sought to illustrate yesterday, it's more like a, a random slideshow. And so you can get in and pick one out here and pick one out there and not do injustice to the context. Now, The subject of wisdom is critical, as we find in the book of Proverbs, the laying of the foundation for the whole book and for entrance into God's truth. And we want to look at that a bit and think about it for just a moment. I said yesterday that wisdom is distinct from just amassing a certain amount of knowledge. It's not just the accumulation of a certain amount of facts, if you will. Wisdom isn't. Another way of thinking about wisdom is this, seeing things as God sees them, seeing things as God sees them. And when you begin to think of wisdom like that, you begin to realize why it's not just an accumulation of facts. There are people in this world who are highly intelligent, the intelligentsia of the world, Facts, they know them by the thousands. They can tackle weighty problems and mathematical equations and all sorts of difficult things, but they, in the biblical sense, are not wise, because they don't see things as God sees them. The Bible says, The fool hath said in his heart, No God! It's interesting, I'm told, though I don't know the language myself, that the Latin word for fool is ignoramus. The ignoramus has said in his heart, no God. And it's not an intellectual problem. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It's not an intellectual problem. And the Bible is clear on this. Let's just turn for just a moment to the New Testament. To the book of Romans, we'll be going back to Proverbs, so you may want to keep your place there. And listen to what the writer to the Romans says in chapter 1. Listen to what Paul says as he analyzes the problem of sin and the problem of man's guilt before God. Mankind who has suppressed the truth of God, who has rejected the light that God has given in conscience and the light that God has given in creation... And he says this in verse 21 of Romans 1, "...because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man." and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. Listen, when you look out into the world today, and you look out and see what's going on in society around us, you're not looking at people who are wise. You're looking at the product of a a society that has rejected, as a whole, God's truth and God's light. God's light. And what takes place when that, that transpires is corruption and abominable practices such as are listed in the book of Romans. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul will say, chapter 1 and verse 20, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish The wisdom of this world. Let's put that in the context of what we're looking at in in the book of Proverbs. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? In other words, not seeing things as God sees them. God says that's not wise. That's foolishness in the mind and heart, in the sight of God. And so people today who don't agree with you because if you believe what the Bible says and you believe what God says about things, well, they're not the wise ones. God hath made foolish the wisdom of this world. I wish we could underscore that in our thinking and In our mindset. Chapter 2 and verse 6. We speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to nothing. We speak the wisdom of God in in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Interestingly enough, I just throw this out there for your contemplation. In chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, you find it was not man's wisdom that designed salvation. In chapter 2, you'll find it is not man's wisdom that is the power of the preaching of the cross. And can I throw this in there? In chapter 3, it is not man's wisdom that is to be appealed to in how the church is to be built. Because that same verse that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 about the foolishness of the world... Listen, in verse 19 of chapter 3, in relation to how the church should conduct itself, how it should be built, what it should look like, verse 19 of chapter 3 in 1 Corinthians says, the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. That's what he thinks about the world's way, or a worldly way of wisdom of how to, can I use the common vernacular, do church. Church that's what folks say today we need to rethink how we do church nobody knew how to do church better than Paul he wrote the book on it and just to remind you that when he died he didn't have big popular followings and masses of people that gathered to him but he knew how to do church he wrote the book on it and we need to forget about appealing to worldly wisdom and how the church should gather meet hold its meetings, and conduct itself. And we don't need the world's wisdom in how to present the gospel. Paul said, I came not to you in the, with the wisdom of men, or the enticing words of men's wisdom. God has designed salvation in an infinite way to declare His own wisdom, and we'll see that in just a moment. Wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Truth for living. Listen to what and if you have the sheet you can follow along a bit on this, but listen to what is offered in these proverbs. Chapter 1, my son, if you hear my instruction, and if you perceive the words of understanding, you will receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, equity. All of these very heavy concepts, if you will, in one sense, and important concepts. Moral truth, mental ability and skill, uh, wise behavior, how to function in life. I've said this before here. I think I said it here. I'm sure I did. Because one year here I spoke on the book of Joshua. And... When it comes to living life skillfully, which is the theme as I see it of the book of Proverbs, remember this, if you want to live life successfully, don't measure it by the world's standards. The word success in the English Bible that I use is only found one time. Only once. It's found in the book of Joshua, chapter 1 and verse 8. Where Joshua is told as he's about to enter the land... "...and claim the inheritance that God has given. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein both day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success." Only time in this English translation success is used, it is used in hearing and obeying and following what God's Word says. Who is a successful person in life? Not the person that the world idolizes because of fame or popularity or wealth or or position or power or any of those things. The successful person in life is the person who hears and follows and obeys the Word of God. That's what's going to matter. Listen, when you stand before the Lord, if you're a believer in Christ, He's not going to ask you, listen, did everybody like you down there? He's not even going to ask you, was your name well known down there? It's not going to matter. What's going to matter is if you sought with your heart to follow the truth of God's Word in spite of what anybody else said, or maybe in spite of what everybody else said. That's success. Success. And so, a whole host of things are offered to those who enter in through the door, as we were looking at, the gate, if you will, that's found here in the book of Proverbs. Now, let's think about that again, because that's the the entrance point, if you will. I said that chapter 1 and verse 7, as well as chapter 9 and verse 10, provide for us the, the motto of the book of Proverbs, and the gate of the entrance into the wisdom that is offered here in this book. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. That's how we get in on skill for living. We get in through the gate, the entrance way. It begins with a right relationship with the Lord. The personal acknowledgement of God in our life, that He is the basis for all of our life and all that we do. It means placing ourselves under His authority. It means recognizing Him and His Word as our absolute authority. The fear of the Lord, or reverence for God's authority, respect for God's authority. That's the definition of the fear of the Lord. Respecting God's authority. Look at what verse 5 says. A wise man will hear and will increase learning. Now, don't take that to mean that all you got to do is just listen to more stuff and you'll increase in the kind of wisdom that God's Word offers. Because the word that's used here in verse 5 for hear is the Hebrew word Shema. And if you know a little bit about what that means, it means to hear with a view to obeying. One of the key passages for any Orthodox Jewish person is the Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Matter of fact, if you ever visit the land of Israel or any Orthodox community, you'll find that they have the little, uh what are they called, no, the mesuzah, no, the that would be on the doorpost of the house. They'll have their phylacteries. And they take literally that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6 about writing these words upon the doorpost of the house upon as frontlets before your eyes. It's funny to watch sometimes because they'll pass the doorpost and they don't do this. But they sort of just do this as they go by the doorpost, you know, as if somehow that in, in, incurs some sort of blessing. But it comes right out of that passage that's so critical. Hear, O Israel, but it's here with a view to obeying. A wise man will increase in learning. How? Because he will, a person will hear with a view of obeying, placing ourselves under God's authority. Wisdom is found not just in hearing, but in obeying the truth of God. That's how you become wise in life. That's how you become skilled in living. The New Testament concepts are very interesting. This is not a lesson in grammar. I'm not a grammarian or grammatician or whatever you call it. Um, I'm non-denominational. But anyway... uh, it does interest me. Words do interest me. There's two words found in the New Testament that are translated in various places. Sometimes obey, sometimes submit. And they're very interesting words. You, you don't really need to know the Greek language to know them, except to, I find it very interesting to look at the words as they are transliterated, that is, taken out of the Greek language and just spelled in an English way. And you'll know what a couple of the words are. There's one word that is tasso." Now, you may not know what the word hoopo is, but if you spell it a little bit differently, we would spell it hypo, such as a hypodermic needle. A hypodermic needle is a needle that goes under the derma, under the skin. It means under, hypo, under, under the skin. Hupotasso. To arrange under. A very similar word to that, hupo-akuo. Same hupo or hypo under. Akuo, the word that we would get our word acoustics from, which mean to hear. To hear under. Now, that's an interesting concept, isn't it? To hear under, or to arrange ourselves under, those are the words for obey or submit. Now, watch what happens. If you don't place yourself under the authority of God, what you are saying by your action is, you are placing yourself either on the same level or above If you say, I don't need to submit to God's authority, I won't hear under, I won't place myself under, you're claiming equal position or above God. It puts the concept of disobedience into a whole other realm, doesn't it? And you know that's how the first sin entered into the universe? When Lucifer said, I will be like the Most High. And so on, as you find in Isaiah chapter 14. And when the man and the woman in the garden, when everything got topsy turvy and out of order, it's when instead of keeping themselves under the voice of God and what He had said, they removed themselves out from under that authority and they disobeyed. So to obey or to submit is to hear under, to place ourselves under. When a child disobeys their parents, they are saying, I, I do not put myself under that authority. I claim equal position with you. I place myself over you. That's why it's so serious. And so the wise person is the one that will hear and submit themselves under the authority of God. What does that, how does that look in practical living? Well, I'll tell you one way it looks. It looks like this. It looks like you say, Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. As opposed to, I'll do whatever I want to do. That life is all about me and what I want to do. Not what about you want me to do. I don't want to be under authority. I want to do my thing. I don't want to listen to what you say. And I don't want to see things as you see them. Because I see things differently. And that's not wisdom, according to the Word of God. We enter in through the door. You see, one of the other important concepts in the book of Proverbs is a concept, and we'll see a little bit of it, Lord willing, tonight, that you may have learned in school. And it is a concept called personification. When you take a principle, or a truth, or a concept, and you put it into a, a human sort of form, so that wisdom becomes not just a thing, but as you find in Proverbs chapter 1, wisdom becomes a person. Wisdom becomes a person. Look at verse 20 in chapter 1. Wisdom cries without... Wisdom there is personified and throughout much of the rest of these first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, wisdom will become a person who appeals to you and cries out to you. And I love that because it just reminds me so much of what we find in the New Testament. Where does wisdom begin in the New Testament? Wisdom is not just a concept. Wisdom is not just a principle. Wisdom is found in the person of the Lord Jesus. Let me turn again to that passage in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. And listen to Paul as he summarizes there in that chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And verse 30. But of him are you in Christ Jesus... Who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Wisdom, according to James 1.5, comes from God. Wisdom, according to 1 Corinthians 1.30, is found in Christ and through the cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, It is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. In the New Testament, wisdom is not just a concept, but more than just a personification of a principle, as you find in Proverbs, wisdom is found in a person. And the skill for living life, as we've been thinking about in the book of Proverbs, comes as you enter into that relationship with that living person, the Lord Jesus. Christ has made unto us wisdom. God's salvation is wisdom. It's the wisdom of God that has designed it, that confounds the wisdom of this world. Who is that truly wise person? It is that one who has come to faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for you and shed His blood, as we were singing about, to forgive your sin and offer you salvation, and ultimately take you all the way home to glory. And listen to what chapter 1, verse 30 says. I like to think of it this way. But of Him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom. And then from that wisdom flows these three things. Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Righteousness, the fact that we can be declared righteous in the sight of God, that takes care of our past. Sanctification, that is the process of which is being worked in you now as a believer in Christ, if you're saved, that's your present. And redemption, according to Ephesians chapter 1 and elsewhere in the Word of God, is not just a past thing, it's a future thing. He's coming to redeem the purchased possession. So wisdom in Christ is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, which takes care of our past, sanctification, which takes care of our present, and redemption, which takes care of our future. It's the total package. How do you get in on it? You come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is our world so cockeyed? Why is it so topsy-turvy? Why is it in such turmoil? Because they've rejected the truth of God and the wisdom of God that's found in Christ. And by and large, you'll find that uh, the powers and the shakers and the movers of this world that sometimes are idolized as being the truly wise, they're not people who bow their knee and heart and mind to the authority of God's Word and own His Son, the Lord Jesus. Never forget that. Enjoy sports entertainment as God gives you liberty to do with good conscience and all the rest of it. But just remember, just remember where true wisdom is found. And it's not found out of the mouths of those, ultimately, who don't know God's Son and won't submit to His authority and believe His truth and follow Him. But it is available for all who will. The wisdom to be able to live life that will carry you all the way through to glory that's found in the Lord Jesus. That's a truly wise. May God bless us to our hearts and from His Word.